Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome to April 22, 2021. And uh, if I, I sound a little stuffed up, I'm going to refer to something Paul sent me this morning. He said, you'll appreciate this as I did. Pittsburgh actually has 12 seasons, not four. There's winter, and then there's fool's spring, and then there's the second winter, and then there's the spring of deception. That was a nice one this year, though. And then, of course, there's a third winter, which is where you've been in the last days. Um, and uh, coming up next is uh, the pollening. And that's where I am right now, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, spring allergies coming. And then spring is right after the pollening. You would get a little teeny weeny bit of spring. So we get a little teeny bit of summer, which then heads into hell's front porch and uh, on and on. Then our false fall, our second summer, our actual fall, and then back to winter. Those are um, the 12 seasons of, of Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm loath to know where to begin. I'm going to try to keep it a little bit lighter today. So I know let's begin with an obituary. That always, always keeps things on the light side. Um, I think I'd heard of this woman before, uh, but I don't know that I'd ever read so extensively about her her life. Um, she was born in in Georgia, in Eastman, Georgia, Annie Blanche Banks. That's not the name on her obituary. Uh, she was born poor and uh, didn't have a good childhood and got the heck out as fast as she could. Ends up through various iterations as a stripper. Now, odds are you may know the name Gypsy Rose Lee, right? Or maybe Lily St. Sir, Sir, is that how it's pronounced, Sir? Or uh, Blaze Star was another one. But this woman was, if there was to be a quartet of, of really famous strippers uh, during the burlesque era, then Tempest Storm would definitely be there. I'm looking at a picture of her right now. Good heavens. Um, I mean, she's built. There's no doubt about that. And in the burlesque form of stripping, not everything came off. Uh, so I don't know that it would appeal to today when nothing is left to the imagination. I, I think, as did, as did Tempest Storm, that it's better to leave something <laughs> to the imagination. Uh, 
she was rumored to have been a lover of John Kennedy, so who wasn't? And she said of him, he was a great man in everything he did. And um, she said of taking all your clothes off, she said, uh, I've never done it. It is not only immoral, it's boring. There has to be something left to the imagination. If you take everything off, you please a few morons. But I mean, I, I definitely agree with her. So she would strip down to a, what today, I guess, passes almost for streetwear, <laughs> a thong and, uh, and a, a bra. So um, she, what's amazing about this one is she actually continued to do her act into her 80s. Now, I know you're thinking, who the heck would want to see that? I don't know. But maybe just for the, she did. God bless her. She loved doing it. It's what she knew. And uh, she kept doing it. Uh, she died, uh, I guess, a few days ago in Las Vegas, where she did her act. And at her height, she was, that would be in the probably early 50s, she was making close to a million dollars a year. Uh, so her breasts, ample, were insured with Lloyd's of London for a million dollars. Uh, she once caused a riot uh, at the University of Colorado. This was in 1955. <laughs> and all she did there, there were a bunch of uh, ma male students that were uh, ogling her. She was fully dressed. And what she did is she simply removed her mink coat as only, I guess, she could remove a mink coat. And the boys went nuts and actually caused hundreds of dollars worth of damage. Um, she made some movies. There was a documentary done of her. Uh, but that is a era that uh, is definitely gone. Uh, she um, was arrested uh, a, a few times uh, for, you know, who knows what, I guess for sh doing what she did. But as she said, she was never uh, fully naked. And she, uh, she married a lot. Her last husband, she, uh, she was a black man who uh, sang with Duke Ellington and starred in early black westerns as a singing cowboy. His name was, uh, I'm not getting a first name, Jeffries. And uh, I don't think that lasted either. She said all her husbands had no problem uh, with her work when they were engaged to her. But as soon as she got married, they all started to have trouble <laughs> with it. 
Um, and she was appearing in Las Vegas nightclubs and burlesque festivals, as I said. Um, into her 80s. And she told uh, a British newspaper, I'd really miss it if they stopped looking. So I make sure they do. Tempest Storm, ladies and gentlemen. She was 90, 93. Um, in that regard, another uh, story, uh, more serious story that popped up in today's news is the decision by uh, Cyrus Vance, the Manhattan DA, to absolutely not again ever prosecute the so-called the so crime of prostitution. Now, there are other cities who have done it. Philadelphia, I believe, with their progressive uh, DA. <coughs> and in, in Manhattan, uh, Cyrus Vance has uh, now dismissed thousands of cases uh, having to do with the arrest of people who were selling their bodies for sex. This is all part of what we've been talking about. It's a part of the reform of our criminal justice system. Um, that is not to say that Cyrus Vance, the DA in Manhattan, won't go after crimes associated with prostitution. The change is, it's not the prostitutes who will be targeted. It will be their customers and their pimps. So, a crime that was overwhelmingly visited upon women, right, is now not going to be prosecuted. And instead, in as much as there is prosecution, it will go to those who exploit those women. I don't know how seriously they're going to go after Johns and pimps or just let the whole thing go. But um, I don't know. He said this in a, in a statement. Over the last decade, we have learned from those who have lived the experience and from our own experience that criminally prosecuting prostitution does not make us safer and too often achieves the opposite result by further marginalizing vulnerable populations. And this also is going to apply to uh, sex workers in massage parlors as well. They're simply not going to prosecute the women, or in some cases, the men. Um, and this is already, as I said, in place in Philadelphia. 
um, also in Baltimore. And I guess the district attorney in Brooklyn has not been prosecuting uh, uh, prostitution uh, arrest either. People are referred to social services, which is voluntary. And, you know, I, this is absolutely sensible. We're learning and have learned a lot more from sex workers who have had the courage to come out and um, I think this is good overall. It will make a lot of people safer. This uh, effort to decriminalize uh, sex work has been uh, going on for decades and it seems to finally be, uh, be bearing fruit. Um, I, you know, it took me a while to get my head around some of this. Um, but I, I don't think there's any doubt that this is the right direction to go. And so there's a lot of, a lot of hard work and women and trans folks and others, I guess, in Manhattan today who are who are breathing uh, a little bit easier as they uh, walk the, the streets. Um, and, you know, looking at the comments from people, uh, it, it appears to be relatively un, um, uh, uncontroversial. Here's a guy saying it's long overdue. I mean, think of all the police resources squandered trying to squelch a pursuit of human nature. <laughs> uh, somebody else writing, hey, and from an economic point of view, if it's a free economy, and the invisible hand of the market is the wise ruler over everything. Why should a perfectly natural form of making a living be discriminated against, much less criminalized? If the so-called invisible hand of the market is restrained to make sure our food is safe, isn't it also reasonable to make sure our bodies are safe? So sex workers should have good health and regular checkups for sexually transmitted disease. And anyway, clearly men seem to want it just like they want football and beer. Um, so <coughs> there it is. Uh, that is considered progress, although I suppose for some more religious folk, it is appalling that an awful lot of poor, hardworking, 
marginalized, often minor women my, of minority, people of color, as we say, minorities, have been the targets of all of this police attention. And as we talk about rethinking what police do, this is one of those things. Take it away from them. There is no reason. It's not helping anything. And if you want to still go after it, go after the pimps um, and the Johns, right? So I, um, in regarding the police, um, I saw in 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 reading the uh, Pittsburgh Post Gazette today that uh, Tim Stevens of the Black uh, Power Empowerment Project, BPEP, has um, called on the mayor and uh, the police to stop, stop policing traffic, to stop the, 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 you know, the petty little, your light was out, your tag wasn't visible, you had an air freshener hang, to, to tell police that is not their responsibility, or it certainly is not something that they should prioritize and or actually stop a car for. Yes, get the license plate. Yes, send a letter, a summons or something where the person will have to answer for whatever violation this is. But in further reading the article, I saw, and I'm agreeing, totally agreeing, and then I'm I'm reading the article and I see that um, it, Tim Stevens has very carefully uh, delineated the kinds of of things that he thinks the police should cease stopping a car for. And I'll I'll read you this um, out of date tags or plates broken taillights, partially obstructed license plates, failure to use turn signals. Okay, I'm totally with him. And then he keeps going. And and I, I get queasy because I think, well, wait a minute. Uh, those things are dangerous. Okay, so he also has on the list failure to stop at stop signs going through stop lights, failure to obey yield signs, driving over the speed limit, failure to slow down in uh, construction sites, passing in a no passing zone, failure to stop for a pedestrian in a crosswalk, failure to stop for school buses with flashing red lights. And I'm thinking, ah, um, <laughs> as somebody who has changed my driving behavior uh, in the last probably 20 years because of the changes I see in other driver behavior. In other words, used to be if I was at a stoplight at an intersection 
and my light turned green, I'd step on the gas. I don't do that anymore because far, far, far too many times my light turns green and somebody still comes barreling, somebody trying to beat the red light comes barreling through in the other direction. Whereas if I had put my foot on the accelerator, I would have been slammed into and possibly killed. So I have a real problem with people who blow through red lights, a real problem. And I admit I'm a speeder, but people who, somebody going 90 miles an hour in a 25 mile zone is a person who the police should stop. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I, I sort of think this goes too far. Um, and it shows how, how difficult it, it will be even if we are open to discussing what is a reasonable uh, traffic stop, uh, a reasonable use of a police officer's time, and uh, what is, is merely a pretext all too often to harass black men. Hmm? So it's, it's more complicated. Change will not be easy. Uh, NF writes regarding the progressive uh, Philadelphia district attorney. His name is uh, Larry Krasner, by the way. Uh, he says there's a multi-part series currently on PBS on uh, Larry Krasner. And uh, he says he's watched the first episode and highly recommends it. So if you want to see, uh, and here in Pittsburgh, we have missed uh, the opportunity uh, all too often to uh, put in the district attorney's office uh, somebody of this ilk, somebody who is looking toward a different kind of a future of how you prosecute, who you prosecute, um, where the resources of a criminal justice should should apply and 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 are the things being prioritized properly because we reelect our district attorney in this knee jerk fashion, even offered people who would make Allegheny County more like Larry Krasner's Philadelphia. And it's too bad because they're the people who decide who gets stuck in the morass of our criminal justice system. And we can see the way it is currently run that the people who get stuck are all too often the poor and black and Latino, right? That's who gets stuck, white people. I mean, white people with means and resources, 
not too often. I forget the guy's name. Remember the guy, he was even a county councilman or a county, he was a, a lawyer and he was found a high profile lawyer and was found to have been um, stealing money from some poor old rich lady whose money he was supposedly looking after. He was arrested on that charge years ago. Appeal after appeal, stall after stall. Anybody else who had taken as much money, well, for heaven's sakes, a black man who took five bucks would have been languishing in the jail the minute he got nabbed or charged, right? This white lawyer starts with an M, something or other. He was scot-free for years. And I guess it was just a few weeks ago that all the appeals and everything, all the legal machinations, which he, you know, employed as a person of privilege in our, in our culture, finally ran out. And I believe he went to jail. But he had years, not sitting in the Allegheny County Jail awaiting trial or his conviction, but in his, I'm sure, very well-appointed, who knows what home, probably Upper St. Clair or something. And yeah, that, that, there's the difference. And we need to rethink it. I, uh, I think, darkly warned yesterday uh, when one of the callers said that I was being a downer all the time. Um, you know, since the show mostly is about news and news is a downer, <laughs> it's pretty hard to um, not be a downer quite often. But I'm, I'm, I am trying a little bit more uh, today. And I did warn people that, okay, today I would, um, I would do a little more on the eating of songbirds, which, you know, is not, well, that could be a downer topic for a lot of people. What it is more is just it makes you sick. It just is, what? Are you kidding? But I had shared with you this story of this Italian town where a whole bunch of people, I mean, it's their culture, uh, were just chowing down on crispy fried little songbirds who made the mistake of, of flying over that particular Italian city where they are considered a delicacy. So, after that, somebody sent me another story about um, eating songbirds. <laughs> and it is so beautifully written. It was written in 2012, and it was written for the New Yorker magazine. It was written by a woman named Claire Mahan or Mahan, Mahan, who I don't know. I wish people's names would come with 
pronunciation guides. She married an Italian guy. And she uh, says he, every once in a while, would treat himself to a dinner of songbirds. There was a specific restaurant he would go to where they would roast these birds on spits. And it's exactly the exactly what the New York Times article that I shared with you about this recent bust of uh, the bird eaters in the Italian town. And the bust was a result of their uh, defying uh, the pandemic guidelines for for congregating um, and, and, and eating together. Um, and she goes on to talk about accompanying her husband to this restaurant and trying mightily to be the, a good wife <laughs> and not make cultural uh, judgments. Um, and, and she describes the restaurant and the lighting and everything. And uh, she says in, in Italy, going out to dinner is not usually about romance. It's serious business. And the, she's saying this because the lighting was like fluorescent white. She says, you have to see what you're eating. You have to see what you're doing. And especially when you're eating songbirds. And so she describes what this, it shows how this is, this is a thing. It's a thing I guess I sure as heck didn't know about. And it, I know it's cringeworthy for a, a lot of us. But she says going out to eat a songbird dinner was an occasion, a tribal ritual that called for gathering together a group of people who also enjoyed eating songbirds. These people would arrive at the restaurant in their best car. The men would wear glossy new footwear, cashmere sweaters, and tweed jackets. Their wives would wear even glossier footwear, silk blouses and cashmere jackets, jewelry, makeup, and perfume. Maybe even they had their hair done specially for the occasion. And then she talks about how there was this, there was this custom of what you spoke of before you were to enjoy this particular repast. There's an Italian word, uccelli, or that's the plural, I guess. Uccello means bird, but it also is a slang term for a penis, okay? And she said, so Uccelli would be the subject of conversation at, at first with all kinds of innuendo, right? Like in Italian, they, the guys would be saying, girls, we invited you here tonight to eat. 
Shelley. And she says the women would titter. It was obligatory. The women would admire each other's clothes and jewelry. The men would talk about where they'd been hunting. Spain, Hungary, Malta. And when the platters of songbirds would arrive, everyone at the table would start to chirp. This gets creepier and creepier. Chirp. Except for the birds, of course, because they, she describes, would be plucked bare, squeezed between bread and pork with useless stumps that used to be their wings, looking like broken arms bent backwards. Mostly you would notice their big empty eye sockets. And then once people started eating, the beaks were the subject of conversation. Some people eat them, some people don't. Some people would just hold the beak between their manicured thumbs and forefingers and nosh their way through the entire bird, bones and all. She was sickened by this. It was the husband, she said, who ate the birds with the greatest gusto. The wives would nibble a little or, or eat the pieces of pork whose melting fat was supposed to keep the fat less songbirds moist during their time over the spit. Occasionally somebody would make a face and wave a hand around and then cover their mouths <clears throat> and spit out a pellet of bird shot, but I suspect that most of these birds were caught in nets. It's illegal, but this is Italy after all. Hunters kill some of the birds they net and sell them under the table to restaurants. They keep the others in cages near the nets so that their songs of distress get other birds to flock towards them to be trapped. When I left the US, I thought I should do what I could to fit in over here. I stopped going to these dinners and thinking that I should acquire a taste for the delicacies set before me. Um, so there's, I, who knew? Disgusting, but it is their culture. That's it. Man. Okay. Bree writes, if a counterfeit bill is suspected, would that not be the jurisdiction of the Secret Service? Uh, the, the Treasury Department, right? Is that Treasury? Uh, I guess. My understanding is that police use pulling over cars as a pretext they need to check on their computers and see what is possibly there. Yeah, 
No, it's, it's, yeah, it is pretext. All of these, you look at all these dead, young men, dead for want of a light bulb, dead for a, it's just, it's got to stop. If you cannot, if we cannot train, retrain the police, Um, quickly enough, and we can't, then at least take these pretexts away from them. Because clearly, our job, if we want to be a better, <laughs> a better society, is to work mightily to protect the populations amongst us who the police are not protecting and in fact appear to be hunting. Bill writes, and I'm so with you, Bill, geez, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. <laughs> no, I know. And these birds are Many of them, and you know, they're endangered. Songbirds are disappearing. Somebody, please talk to the. You got, you got some uh, Italian. You got some uh, people still back in the old country doing this, please. You know, and I was looking. I, I still get some catalogs, and some of these bizarre catalogs that offer solutions to problems you never thought of as problems. And I pulled a page out of, of one because I thought, what the hell? It was an entire page of how to essentially, I thought, torture birds. I just, um, here's one where you can put spikes. I mean, it's these awful, you, you here, for only $27.99, a package of 10 stainless steel bird-repelling spikes. So I guess you put them on wherever birds, like, might land that somehow annoys you. You put spikes down. <laughs> um, why would – and it says here in – in attempting to uh, sell this product, eliminate corrosive droppings and prevent damage to roofing shingles and siding. Really? I mean, really? When did we become people who are incapable of coexisting with other living things? of sharing, of sharing the space. We make things so damn hard on them. And if they like poop on your roof, well, big deal. I just, I don't understand it. And here's another one. You don't want to harm the birds? Get Bird Chaser for $39.99. Uses sound to prevent 
unwanted birds from coming onto your property. Now, what constitutes an unwanted bird? And how, how, how is it that this sound emitting thing only will repel the unwanted birds? It would repel all the birds. Works up to 24 feet, features volume control. Ooh, what I, I know some people, I know people don't like pigeons. I think they're wrong, but fine. I know people who don't like blackbirds because of a, they, their loud call and they congregate. Tough. They're smart. They're smarter than your dog. Here's another one. Scare the hell out of birds. <laughs> you can have this thing that scares them away. This costs 70 bucks. Effective up to 120 feet. Man, it emits sounds of hawks and falcons. Well, that would scare the bejeebers out of the squirrels, out of every little animal, out of what? And this goes on and on and on. All of these ways to keep the creatures that we share this globe with away. So we shouldn't look down too much, I think, on these uh, songbird-eating Italians. We are, as a species, I'm just saying, I would not want to have to defend us in a court of law. Can you imagine if Mother Nature had a court and Homo sapiens was dragged in front of it and the jury was made up of other living creatures who inhabit the earth with us? A jury of our peers, other living creatures. Hey, tell me how that uh, jury would be inclined. Hmm? Imagine. Roger writes, that story of Italians eating song has me rethinking setting the bird feeder low for my cat. What? That's not funny. Roger, that's not funny. You know, I never had, I always had cats and I had cats that went out and they do kill lots of songbirds and other things. And I understand the people who say that's how, you know, if you have a cat, you should keep it in. Um, yeah. You know, they eat robins. That was one of the delicacies. A robin. Oh, actually, Roger, you sent me an email the other day, which I didn't get around to sharing, which I like a lot better than that one. And and let me share it. It was on the subject of of white folks not comprehending until very recently that black folks living right next next to them seemingly living in the same place 
seemingly living living the same kind of life, going to the same schools, shopping in the same stores, driving the same streets. Uh, us clueless white people thought that you know we were we could understand their lives because yeah, they sure looked like they were living the same life we were. And now we know that's not that's not the case. So Roger wrote this about his wake-up call. He says, I grew up just outside Washington, D.C. In 1977, when I was 15, another 15-year-old, a black kid, Terrence Johnson, was arrested and taken to the police station. Somehow, he disarmed an officer and shot and killed two officers. His defense was that he was being beaten. Now, what's interesting about that, and it begs a question, is you mean he lived to have a defense? I mean, what's amazing is <clears throat> what <coughs> would happen to Terrence Johnson today? <clears throat> Seriously. What would happen to Terrence Johnson today? I mean, I'm sure this story doesn't end well for him, no matter what. But this is so amazing to me that in 1977, a black kid in custody at a police station could somehow manage to get a hold of one of the cop's guns and shoot two, kill two. and then make a defense. If he made a defense, it means he wasn't shot and killed on the spot. You tell me if today, Terrence Johnson, we would never have heard a defense. What defense could there be? You kill a cop, you're dead. No trial, you're just dead. You're a black kid, you are so dead, it is ridiculous. So I, I also think this inadvertently points out how we have become inured to giving police this absolutely free pass to shoot and kill when there used to be an expectation of more restraint. We're long past it. I'll go back to the email. This kid's defense, he killed two cops, was that he was being beaten by them. Roger goes on, in my all-boys Catholic high school religion class, we had a discussion about this. Our three black classmates tried in vain to persuade the rest of us, the white kids, that Terrence Johnson's claim could be valid. Us white boys could not believe that police were abusing and killing citizens just because of the color of their skin. 
Roger writes, 14 years later, 1991, after watching the video of Rodney King getting beaten mercilessly, my mind was finally open, especially after the cops were found innocent. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> Margaret writes, I guess, about the Italians uh, eating. Sounds like the Hunger Games. <laughs> Bye. Wait a minute here. I want to get. Did you hear? I'm sorry, but did you hear? I don't even want to really waste much time on this. You heard about the Republican legislator in Missouri who is so disgusting that even the Republicans in the Missouri legislature voted. Unanimous, I mean, unanimous vote. I think there was one person who voted present to kick this guy out of the legislature, to expel him. How often does that happen? This guy, so repellent, he sexually abused his children. He physically abused his children, he emotionally abused his children, he drowned litters of puppies in lakes, he this and that, and you know, let's hear his defense. Seriously, you want a defense? Here's a defense. He says his children, now all adults, that their testimony was just a political hit because they were Democrats. And he said Democrats would accuse their fathers of such abuse for political reasons. Even the Republicans who probably even agreed with that said this guy is repellent. And they threw him out. I think I might have a caller. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. I don't want to change the subject on you. I no, that's okay. I'm not on one. I just stopped. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah. No, I was just going to mention this vaccine people were, I see on TV where they're saying you get body aches and a sore arm. Oh, God. And, and so they won't do it. Yeah, and that's like, have you ever had a tetanus shot? You could have the body aches for three days and the same yeah. and that. So what I the know. hell? I had the first one. I got to get the second one. It's like, what the hell? What are you, a bunch of babies? I mean, yeah, they are. They're babies, and they're they have no sense of social responsibility. They yeah. have zero sense that they could potentially endure a little sore arm and maybe even a feeling not so great for a day to help get the entire population secure from what kills 
What's worse than a sore arm, right? Right. And what is with these people? And then they, I think they're going to give you a booster later on. Yeah. Oh, done. dear. That's it. You're done. That's pretty going to be what it be, three shots. What the, I don't understand it. Well, you know, I see, and I was very uh, unhappy to see that uh, locally, the um, the people who are giving the shots are saying they have much more vaccine than people who are coming to get it. The exact opposite of what was the case just a month ago, you know, where we were all clamoring to get it. What they figure anybody who hasn't gotten it now yet obviously doesn't want to. And we're nowhere near. We're nowhere near where we need to be for herd immunity. So all of the holdouts, 40% of the U.S. Marine Corps, by the way, 40% of the U.S. Marine Corps refusing the shots. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought Marines are supposed to follow orders. And why isn't that an order? Why, in, in, when it is possible, you tell an employee or, you, you, I mean, we do it, we won't let kids come to school without certain vaccinations. We have got to bring the hammer down on these people. We need everybody vaccinated. I'd like, instead of, you know, stopping black people for having an air freshener in their car, I'd like the cops to go uh, stopping all these, uh, you know, white folks who won't get a vaccine because of what? A fear of a sore arm or fear they're going to be, I don't know, uh, marked for the devil. I, I don't understand any of it. Yeah, but none of us are going to be safe. We're nowhere near where we have to be. Nowhere. Makes sense. Uh, so, you know, I saw this guy who, who's responsible for Allegheny Generals. Uh, out. He had something like he was planning on giving 7,000 uh, doses. Um, I forget where in Allegheny County the other day. Didn't get anywhere near that. And they even opened it up. They said, you don't need any, just stop by, drop in. You don't need an appointment. Just come. We've got this. And nobody comes. Uh, Is it, it, has news media some culpability here? Have they zeroed in too much on, you know, making negatives uh, into bigger things than they are? Or I don't know. I, 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 I just... I don't know. I, I think there has to be a mandate. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, that ain't going to go yeah. down well. 40% of Marines. Unbelievable. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Here you. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. I'm sorry. He called up in his quiet way and I went berserk. Yeah, Debbie, because you're a human being who I would call a, you know, one of the good ones. Debbie writes, I have a bird's nest over my front door. Oh, how wonderful. I mean, to me, I would be, I would feel so flattered. I would be so happy if a bird family decided to share my property. 
I have a bird nest over my front door. She says, I'm not bothering them. I don't go in and out that way. I guess some people would knock it down, but I'll wait until they leave. I liked watching them build it, right? And then she goes on to say the CNN uh, series that uh, Tucci, uh, the actor did on, is it Stanley Tucci? Uh, on Italy, never mentioned songbird eating. Well, maybe Stanley never had a songbird himself. I don't know. But yeah, I just, my my mother and I have been, you know, weather permitting, sitting outside in the sun and and listening to the birds. I mean, that that, that is what our, our recreation has been is, is listening to the bird song and trying to uh, identify the birds. And she, <laughs> she was like, every bird, didn't matter what, she said, that's a cardinal. And I finally said, mom, they can't all be cardinals. My brother, when he was here, uh, downloaded an app for his phone that allows you to record the bird song you're hearing and then send it to some place where they immediately listen and send back to you what it is. And the first one he sent came back cardinal. <laughs> I, well, yeah, okay. I could even see the, the thing. Yes. But the other one came back some kind of a thrush. And, you know, who knows? I don't know. Every little brown bird I call a wren. It's not. Um, I really don't have a lot of uh, knowledge. But one thing I understand from this enforced year of being in our backyards more, in our homes, is that we've learned to listen and to enjoy the the wild things that are out there. Well, I have to tell you this before we go. Um, I'm going to be staying here for another week, so we'll be doing the show from here next Monday through Thursday as well. Um, I've been taking short walks with my mom in the neighborhood. And it's so odd to be in, so many Pittsburghers still live in the neighborhood they lived their entire lives in. But of course, I left Green Bay when I was 18 years old and have never lived here since. But I've always been able to come back and, and be in the home I grew up in, which is a, a great privilege. And it's been wonderful. Uh, and I know I'm very lucky in that regard. But walking around through the neighborhood I lived in as a child, so many memories come, you know, just flooding back. And I'm just going to share one with you that I shared with my mom as we walked by a house about two doors down from ours. I said, that's where the Paulises used to live. Do you remember them? And eh, kind of, sort of. I said, Johnny was my age. And I have a memory. And, and you know, when something sticks in your head for 
68 years. <laughs> it must have been quite an experience, right? You know, one of those, we all have them, these memories. It's not like we're sitting brooding about them, but they're there and they're vivid because at the time, and too, all too often this is the case, at the time, you felt so embarrassed or humiliated. It was one of those horrible things that happened as a child learns to navigate the world. And it happened in that house, in their kitchen. And I said, Mom, for some reason, they asked me to stay for dinner. And I, um, you know, I did, I guess I called you and you said, sure. And, and so I ate in the Paulus's little kitchen with them. This little kitchen, little, little kitchen. I, I, I can see it in my in my mind's eye. And a plate was put before me. And on it was a hot dog in a bun. This may seem hard for you to believe, but I had never been served nor encountered such a food item. It looked a little odd to me. It looked slightly like a sandwich, but not like any sandwich I'd ever seen. I should have waited and seen what everybody else did with theirs, but I've always been a hungry type. I picked up the hot dog and I picked it up like you would an ear of corn and I started to eat it like that was holding it horizontally and Johnny Paulus looks at me and points his finger at me and howls in laughter and followed soon by his sister Christine I don't remember the father being there, but I, I sort of remember the mom and she was laughing too, all laughing at me. And I'll, you know, isn't that amazing that I remember that because I was so humiliated. And I took that humiliation. I remember I came home, my mom doesn't, and I was so mad at her. <laughs> Why didn't you ever give us a hot dog? Why didn't you show us how to eat a hot dog? Mortification. Mortification. <laughs> and every time I look at that nice little house, it looks nicer now. All the houses have been, you know, sort of freshened up, but they're all the same houses on the same footprint. And man, as a matter of fact, you know who's in that house now? Some guy, he's got a big truck in the driveway. You know what he does for a living? He trucks bull semen around to farms. There's like a truck. He's got a truck there filled with bull semen. I kid you not, where the Paulus's once laughed at me, 
for eating a hot dog incorrectly. All right, I'm I'm leaving. I'm just going to share two uh, late arriving uh, emails. Bree writing, "Happy Earth Day, by the way. God help the Earth." As I said, let's imagine, uh, let's imagine that jury scene where the rest of the rest of the life, flora and fauna of this Earth judges us, Homo sapiens. Um, and Gigi Rice, so glad to hear you talking about birds and the pleasure you derive from hearing them. There are so many bird apps out there to help with identification. I, I know I've seen some via sight or sound. If you're interested, check out the Audubon app, which is free. BirdNet's also free and likely is the one you mentioned that your brother downloaded. Yes, you're right. It is a project of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology because that's where you send it. It's a fun app to use, even just walking around your backyard. And she says, for fun, I'm attaching a photo of a songbird, oh, which returns to our area at this time of year. Do you want me to tell you what it is, or would you prefer to try to figure it out? Oh, look at that little thing. Oh, it's sitting on your hand. It's just a tiny little orange, brown, black head, brown feathers, orange feathers, white breast with orange. What is that? Oh, and a long, beautiful red tail. Um, I mean, orange. <laughs> what is that? Tell me quick. Uh, it won't get to me quickly. Um, yeah. Oh, my God, what a cute little guy. That's got to be a baby, no? Oh, anyway, uh, Gigi will tell me, uh, put me out of my misery. And um, she says, enjoy your time with your mom. I'm so glad you get to do this. Yes, yes, yes. And she says, thanks goodness for science, right? Because that's what allowed me to be with my mother, right? It's It's been wonderful. So thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, don't have a clue what that is. I would love to see a bird like that. I've never seen a bird like that, let alone had one sitting on my hand. So, okay, you guys, I've gone over, 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 and um, I'll, I'll be gone. Uh, and have a great rest of your week and weekend, and enjoy the warming temperatures, which I know will be coming your way. And I'll talk to you on. Uh, Monday. Bye-bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.